This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Monica. I've made an incredible discovery. What's that, Andrew? I've actually been a prisoner all along. I've been imprisoning myself. That's unfortunate. Yes. I need to liberate myself from the psychological and emotional chains that are keeping me down. So I'm going to go to Starbucks, and I'm going to let you figure this out for the next two and a half hours. All right, all right. I'll come back after that. (laughs) Oh, this is part two of episode number 66 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie Prisoners. So if you're looking for part one, you are listening to the wrong file. Go away. You're not supposed to be here. If this is your first time listening to the show, basically this is the program on Film Geek Radio devoted to discussion of mainstream blockbuster films, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general spoiler-free discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film complete with spoilers, and it's designed to be listened to after you have seen the movie. Uh, Again, this is part two, so if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening now and go check out part one of our episode on Prisoners. Before we really dive into Prisoners and start talking spoilers and figuring out what it does right and and, and what it does wrong, uh, I have a quick announcement. If you are a fan of Film Geek Radio, you probably know that we have several podcasts. Some of them are about movies and some of them are about specific television shows. Over the next two weeks, we will be premiering two new weekly podcasts. Uh, We will be premiering a show all about the third season of Homeland, and we will also be premiering a show all about the first season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So if you're a comic book fan or you like terrorism, in the case of Homeland, then you might want to check out those television shows and our respective podcasts all about them. Let's dive into Prisoners. I'm going to assume that if you're listening to this, you have seen the film. Before we really dive into things, here's a clip. My son already told you that the guy was inside the RV just watching, right? We haven't found any physical evidence inside the RV or his aunt's house where he lives. Nothing. Alex Jones, unfortunately, has the IQ of a 10-year-old. There's no way that someone with the IQ of a 10-year-old could abduct two girls in broad daylight and then somehow make them disappear. Well, maybe he wasn't on his own. How could he drive an RV if he has an IQ of a 10-year-old? Hey, we're considering all possibilities. I don't think you are considering all possibilities. I hear, I hear what you're saying. No, sir, listen sir, to me. Just I, shut up for a second. This is what we need you to do for me. I need you to calm down, Mr. Dover. I understand this is an incredibly hard time, but I have every uniformed police officer in this state looking for Anna. I don't understand what any of this means. They said he ran. They said he tried to get away. I don't understand why he would try to run away. I hear what you're saying. I'm not crossing anybody off my list. Just let me do my job. Let's talk about prisoners. I feel like there's so many different things that we could discuss regarding this movie because this movie is trying to do a lot of stuff and I'm not sure it's accomplishing any of it. There are a lot of ideas in that movie. Yeah, so I'm just going to throw out one overall point and we can see where the conversation goes from there. Alrighty. 
I think one of the biggest problems with prisoners mm-hmm. is that this is material ripe for a really interesting exploration of morality and how people will respond to a crisis and whether or not certain situations and certain traumas can justify acts that would otherwise be considered immoral. And prisoners, I think, it wants you to think that it's this really profound exploration of morality, but really it's not. And I think it's pretty clear that there's not when it turns out the primary villain of the film is one of the most over-the-top, broadly painted <laughs> villains I have seen in a long time. Like, like there's no moral ambiguity about this villain. Yeah. This villain is just evil. Straight up says, I'm waging a war with God. I am waging a war against God. And that is just so over the top that it makes it very difficult for me to take any of the other stuff it's trying to explore about morality very seriously. Well, even like when it's trying to do just a little bit of imagery here and there, like uh, we always see, for some reason, on Hugh Jackman's car, uh, Keller Dover's car or whatnot, the cross is always seems to end up almost in the middle of the frame every time. And then right after he kidnaps Paul Dano, there's a moment where he pulls up into the driveway and the cross is all of a sudden to the side, so you can't see it. Hmm, I wonder what that means. <laughs> yeah, religion plays an interesting role in this movie. And like he prays too, right before torturing the guy? Like, Well, the opening scene is him teaching his son to hunt, and the opening lines are him reciting the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. So it's clear that this is a very religious character. He wears a cross around his neck, he's got a cross in his car, he's praying and asking for forgiveness as he's torturing Paul Dano. So clearly this this is a movie that's meant to explore how religion plays into our ideas of right and wrong in times of of trauma. And there's like a priest character that we discover... It's sort of like a vigilante. He was a vigilante. And we ultimately... Spoilers, you shouldn't be listening to this if you haven't seen the films, but uh, spoilers, Melissa Leo, the supposed aunt of Paul Dano's character, she's actually the primary villain... And her and her husband have been kidnapping children for years, and they did it because their son died of cancer. Oh, wait. I think that was a lie because she says at first the son died in a car accident, and then later on she says from cancer. Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay. It's a lie. Who knows? They might have never even had a child in the first place. They were just taking other people's kids and killing them. Well, see, that's that's even worse because now you're right. I, I had forgotten that she had given a different explanation for the death of her son earlier. What I took away was that their son died, and as she puts it, we're waging a war against God. Like, they were so upset about that, and it, it shattered their faith so much that, she, as she puts it, they're waging a war against God and abducting and killing children so that in the process, the parents and the people around the kids will become demons. Like, they will be so morally conflicted that they will inadvertently, you know, lose their souls or whatever. Or something. It's just so crazy and convoluted. I'm just thinking, really? That's your motivation? Really? No, really, I was more upset that this was the answer to all of the questions that we've been sitting through for the last, like, two and a half hours. It's just like, cutie old lady, of course, that would be your ultimate villain. Well, I I was suspicious of her from the moment... 
Paul Dano's character was kidnapped. And she was kind of non-pulsed about it. Yeah, at no point does she show up at the police station like, hey, where's my nephew? I'm really worried about him. What's going on? And I figured, okay, well, maybe she's not making a big deal out of it because she doesn't want the cops to come snooping around and investigating her in more detail. The problem is this, this movie, it's inserting ideas like all this religious stuff, and it makes it, wa- it wants you to think that it's this really profound, complex exploration of faith and morality, yeah. but it's really not. It's just putting those things in there to make you think it's it's deep when it's it's actually pretty shallow. Again, like I think you said it in the first episode, but there's a lot of ideas here, but none of them are new. Right. I feel like the big moral hook of the story the big thing that's supposed to tie it all together thematically is Hugh Jackman's character, uh, Keller, his decision to kidnap Paul Dano and torture him until he can discover where the girls were being held. And that's kind of interesting. Not so much the fact that he's torturing this guy and, oh, no, is he doing the right thing? Is this an appropriate response? I mean, other movies have explored territory like that Mm. far better, in my opinion. The only way in which this was interesting to me was how ultimately it turned out that by doing that, he may have distracted the cops and Jake Gyllenhaal from finding the girls sooner. At one point, when they think the girls have been killed, and Hugh Jackman's character is called in to confirm like some photos of some articles of clothing, he even says to Jake Gyllenhaal, you should have been looking for the girls and not following yeah. me. It's it's your fault. So the implication is, if Hugh Jackman hadn't kidnapped this, this guy and done suspicious stuff, maybe the cops would have found them sooner? Sort of. I, I just assume, like, that was just an appropriate response for any parent who's, like, you know, lost a child. And it was like, no, you should have found them, like, yesterday. Right. And the, the thing is, though, he is kind of to blame. No, and then the whole thing of the ending is, like, even if they find him and it's kind of ambiguous, which I thought was the dumbest idea ever. Is it ambiguous? I've heard people say the ending is ambiguous. I do not think it is ambiguous. Whether or not Jake Gyllenhaal walks away from the whistle. I mean, he keeps turning around, so it's obvious he hears the whistle. But the thing is, like, now his life is ruined. He's going to go to jail for kidnapping Paul Tamo. Oh, whatever. People will understand. If this is Canada, they won't. I don't know. I I overall felt like it was a very happy ending, all things considered. I mean, both girls turn up alive. Oh, yeah, compared to what it could have been, yeah. Yeah, like Hugh Jackman doesn't die. I, I was sitting there kind of thinking, well, if we're really supposed to come away feeling like this is morally complex, then Hugh Jackman's actions should inadvertently lead to something tragic happening, perhaps. Or are we supposed to think, well, maybe his actions weren't so bad because it all turned out okay in the end? Yeah. What are we to walk away with? If it was just like a a storytelling movie, it feels too much like there's a message there. What is that message? We're not quite sure. Exactly. It feels like it's trying to say something important. I mean, you've got all of this 9-11 imagery where he's, uh, or post-9-11 imagery of him, like, torturing this guy and, you know, putting him in this room where he can't sit down and then torturing him with hot water and cold water and beating him almost to death. Then you've got Terrence Howard, the neighbor's decision about, well, do I want to go along with this or not? And, like, at the beginning, they joke about, oh, Hugh Jackman really loves the Star Spangled Banner and he's all about, like, America. So so it, it kind of feels like there's supposed to be some sort of political message. You know, yeah, totally could be. 
But I'm like, wait, what's the message? And also, they make a big deal about how Hugh Jackman's character is a real, like, survivalist guy. Yeah. I was kind of freaked out, like, is this, is he, like, one of these right-wing extremist people like he's very religious he's all about like being a leader being prepared for the worst and he commits the torture he commits torture you know if the country goes to hell son you got to be ready to, to step up yeah it's like i'm trying to figure out why did they make his character that way why did they characterize him in that respect he's got the gas masks down in his basement yeah he's a sketchy guy he, he is kind of sketchy and was that supposed to be important important because again i feel like i would be more emotionally invested in the film if he was just like this average dude yeah normal person we don't necessarily need to know a whole lot about who suddenly thrust into the situation and has to make a, a, a choice also fun fact i think this is the second lead character that in recent months that's been a survivalist because we have the your next girl Oh, right. This is a new trend. (laughs) But she was hardcore. She, like, went out to a compound and learned everything about all this stuff. Yeah, and Hugh Jackman captured the guy that he thought took his little girls and uh, went all fascist on his ass. Hugh Jackman just has a lot of stuff in his basement, just in case. (laughs) You know, that's that's how he's prepared. I don't know, man. He is a handyman, so he was able to rig a waterboarding contraption, sort of. Yeah, I don't or know. At least some sort of a torture thing. Yeah, it, it was it was bizarre. Let's talk about some of the intricacies of the plot here, because I feel like this plot is very convoluted. I feel like it's trying to be more interesting in certain respects. Are we going to be here all night? No, I, I don't think so. It, it's just so sloppily done that I was kind of confused a lot of the time. The, the main yeah. element of the plot I had a problem with was everything with Bob Taylor. Bob Taylor is the creepy guy that Jake Gyllenhaal first sees outside their house when they're having that little memorial service, the little candlelight vigil, Mm -hmm. Um, and he chases him, and then Bob Taylor's, like, sneaking into Hugh Jackman's house and stuff, and you're supposed to think, oh, this is the real killer. Killer, yeah. And I could not figure out what his deal was. Like, they, they try to explain it, in this scene where Jake Gyllenhaal finds all of the boxes with people's clothes and the snakes. snakes. It was like something out of a bad 70s movie. Snakes? Why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> well, I guess it, it goes back to all the religious stuff. You've got the serpent, the devil. Yeah, I was wondering if he kept opening the boxes, were the different plagues going to come out? Because <laughs> then we would have gotten Old Testament on his ass. <laughs> Let me get this straight, Monica. Bob Taylor was not the killer. He had been abducted when he was a child, Mm -hmm. and he had escaped somehow, and he was so psychologically messed up that now whenever kids are abducted, he, like goes to get their clothes and makes and it and like recreates what happened and he had like pig's blood that he put on them and it all had to do with some book called the invisible killer yeah i told someone that that entire plot line could have just been cut and no one would have noticed like it's just a complete time waster that we spend a good maybe half an hour on yeah and, and it, it, it's confusing as hell. I don't understand what on earth was going on. Yeah. The thing is, that whole subplot ends with Bob Taylor killing himself. And yeah. first of all, that scene is so sloppily edited, I was just trying to figure out, how did he get a gun? Whose gun is that? Did he take Jake Gyllenhaal's gun? No, no, no. It's the other cop that 
like was the two cops came in, pulled Jake Gyllenhaal off the guy, and that's when Bob Taylor reached and got the second cop's gun. Okay, I'm I totally I missed got that that. And I was just like, wait, whose gun is that? I still don't know why they were snakes, other than apparently at one point, crazy auntie Melissa Leo had snakes or tortured them with snakes or something. I'm not quite sure where in her murder, kill, druggy thing she introduced snakes. Yeah, I got the impression it was it was some sort of religious thing. Like, she had said her and her husband had originally been super devout. Yeah. And so I was thinking, okay, were you, like, these crazy, like, snake handler devout people, or... Could be, could be. Or is it just now that you're waging a war on God, you you love snakes, because they represent Satan? Yep. That was very strange. And then, like, okay, okay, the movie wants you to think it's deep, so it introduces this whole idea of mazes, and oh, it's a maze, and you can't find your way out, and it's a labyrinth, and it's confusing. Look at how deep we are. And actually, the solving solving of the quote-unquote maze was matching pictures together to figure out who the guy was. It, It was just so bizarre. They kidnapped the kids, and then what, they would tell them... If you solve all the mazes, we let you go. And th- and that's why this guy was so obsessed with mazes. Yeah. Because it had been part of the kidnapping. Because it- no one gave him a crossword puzzle for years. <laughs> that's why. It really messes with you. Yeah, everything with Bob Taylor just went right over my head. And I was like, I can't figure out what is happening. Why, why are you here? <laughs> why are you breaking into people's houses and stealing clothes? And what's up with the pig's blood? It was just, oh my God. You're not an Oscar nominated actor. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, that was just, it was just so crazy. And the other thing was just like, in, in terms of everything with Paul Dano, he just like leaves him there, I guess. Is that, is that what we're supposed to... Is that what's implied? Um, Jake Gyllenhaal, like, discovers right, him. because Hugh Jackman just basically leaves him. And I'm like, wait, did yeah. you just leave him to die? Were you planning to come back? Nah, screw that guy. He's got to save his daughter. <laughs> There's just... It's just little things like that that just kind of drove me crazy. And, 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 like, everything with the drugs. I was like, how are you drugging them? Clearly, you're giving them something in the soda bottles. Clearly, it is a knockoff of Coke, so yeah. it's all good. It's the off-shelf store brand that they're just too embarrassed to have the label on, so that's okay. They're fine. Okay, so at one point in, in near the end of the film, one of the girls is found, mm-hmm. and then she looks at Hugh Jackman and says, I saw you. Yeah. And that's how he knows that, oh, it was the aunt. It was in the house, yeah. He went to apologize to the aunt or whatever for scaring Paul Dano away. Right. And so, again, that was just, I had to go back and and try to figure out, okay, so she saw him, which means she was in the house at the time, so the aunt moved the kids from the little pit outside Mm -hmm. to the house, and then I guess when she realized... Hugh Jackman and the police were coming or whatever. She just drugged them so that they would be quiet. I was just like, what was their plan? Were they just going to keep the kids for a long time and then kill them? Yeah. Why, why not kill them right away? I don't understand. Yeah. You're not going to kill them because you want to watch the, the people go crazy and become demons, as she put it. It's just uh, so bizarre. Agreed. Doesn't make any sense. It's a long-ass waste of time. Yeah. Not even just a waste of time. It's, like, purposely long. <laughs> It did make me want to go out and buy an emergency whistle. I think I still have mine from college somewhere, which obviously does me a lot of good because I lost it just like the little girl. So it means I'll (laughs) I'll probably get, you know, lost at any point in time. 
Oh, okay. Speaking of uh, Paul Dano's character, so he turns out to be someone that they had previously abducted as well. Mm-hmm. So Hugh Jackman is torturing this poor guy who was already abducted and abused as a kid. Oh, yeah. So they, like, brainwashed him? Uh, no. Apparently he, uh, what was it? They said that he had the mental capacity of a 10-year-old. So I think that the thing is that they tortured him to never grow up. Well, that's what I was trying to figure out. Like, is he just, like, mentally handicapped? Or does he have the IQ of a 10-year-old because they took him when he was 10? Yeah. So they, like, brainwashed him into thinking that she was his aunt and he was helping them abduct other kids yeah. and i'm i'm just thinking in the back of my mind okay wait assuming you weren't mentally handicapped and you were just a regular 10 year old who was abducted and abused even if you only have the iq of a 10 year old 10 year olds aren't stupid <laughs> like they can run away and they can put pieces of things together, I just don't understand, like, how he would end up going along with this. Also, how is it with the mental capacity of a 10-year-old that he was driving? I think someone made that joke in the movie, and, like, it doesn't really go answered, and I'm like, no, no, valid point, valid point. (laughs) No, 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 I think what happened, she was there with him. She tells Hugh Jackman at the end that he's the one that, like, let them play on the RV. Mm -hmm. She's the one that made the decision to keep them there in the RV. Yeah. So they were both in there together. It's just such a convoluted plot. It was a struggle for me to follow everything that was going on and put all the pieces together. And then when they did come together, I was like, well, that's kind of dumb and doesn't... That's not how things would really happen in real life. That's dumb. Yes. Yeah, I I definitely felt cheated by the end of the movie. So that's not a feeling you want to have at the end of two and a half hours. I feel kind of bad because I felt worse about Paul Dano's dog than I did about those little girls. Oh, yeah. Somebody was wondering how they even shot that. Like, that was such a creepy moment when he tortures the dog. And again, I was like, oh, that's really kind of kind of interesting and dark, and I haven't really seen that before. I wonder how they shot that. And then at the end, I just felt cheated. Like, okay, so he's not actually a bad guy, or he is weird and has these impulses, but it's only because he was brainwashed into having them? I, I, I don't know. What a weird movie. Yeah, I can't wait until more normal fare, you know, when this, the WikiLeaks movie comes out. Should be <laughs> should be past the weird, right? I don't know. And maybe after 12 Years a Slave. I don't know. This Oscar race is odd. But they really, for for at least my the Boston area, they really tried, like, making a deal out of it. They invited members of SAG and AFTRA to vote on the movie for the acting ensemble. So it's kind of like there is a, already a campaign behind this. I mean, the performances are good. I just think the m- script is pretty standard stuff. There's nothing really interesting about it beyond, oh, these are characters in emotional situations, so they get to yell and cry and show off their acting ability. Yeah, pretty accurate. Interesting movie in some ways, but it can't figure out what it wants to say. What's your favorite child abduction movie? (laughs) My favorite child abduction movie? Oh, I don't know. You'd have to start naming some. Oh, I'd I'd say Gone Baby Gone. Gone Baby Gone, I did like. I did like. That's like my top favorite. 
And also has, like, a detective that is really dedicated or whatever to solving the case. Right, and I think that that movie does a much better job of exploring these moral gray zones Mm -hmm. than Prisoners. It's a deep movie, yeah. Because uh, the most morally complex movies are the ones where people are doing bad things for supposedly good reasons, and the villain in this film is doing bad things for a really terrible reason. So there's no complexity to that. There's nothing ambiguous about that at all. I'm waging a war against God. Okay, you're evil. End of story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we saw that mystery, guys. (laughs) Oh, one thing I forgot to bring up about the the Bob Taylor stuff. Oh, I was going to say, oh, we forgot to talk about Jake Gyllenhaal's awful name. Detective Loki, really? Oh, yeah. I couldn't figure out, like, why he was called Loki. It's almost as bad as, like, Keller Dover. I was thinking, oh, Detective Loki, he must be the trickster. There must be, he must be hiding something. There must be something more to his character. It's like, no, he's never lost a case before. It's like, okay, does that mean he has everything to lose on this one? Everything with Bob Taylor really served no purpose except to put Jake Gyllenhaal into a position where he was going to explode emotionally and go in there. And it's that explosion of emotion that ultimately Mm -hmm. results in Bob Taylor killing himself and, you know, really delaying the investigation. Mm -hmm. So was that supposed to be like a parallel to Hugh Jackman is the point of the movie basically when you encounter traumatic events, don't respond emotionally don't lose your basically (laughs) keep your cool be patient and you will solve the case if you overreact (laughs) you will get sidetracked and it'll take you 10 years to find bin laden oh was that the message of the movie i'm 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 not sure (laughs) hot damn so is bob taylor like saddam yeah is that what it is if this is a political allegory, is Bob Taylor Saddam Hussein? <laughs> was Saddam traumatized as a child? I don't know. <laughs> Actually, all terrorists are traumatized as a child. That's probably what it is. Maybe. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Prisoners. It's this year's Zero Dark Thirty. Oh. Okay. It features a crying Jessica Chastain at the end. <laughs> Just sitting in the back of an airplane. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal in this case is the obsessed officer trying to find the culprit. I'm surprised he he should have started writing the days (laughs) 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 on the chief's window. Yeah, because he had a pretty contentious relationship with his boss. And to be fair, his boss did seem to be making some pretty bad decisions. (laughs) But that's right. (laughs) It kind of would have fit with the film if Jake Gyllenhaal had just every day shown up and gone, It's been four days! Yeah. We have to find them now. Yeah. Yeah, I I ultimately felt a little bit, it feels weird to say, but I did feel kind of let down that it was such a happy ending. Yeah, it's too too nice and neat for the dirty movie it was. Yeah, it's it's exploring some very dark territory, but it doesn't want there to be any really dark consequences. And you can say, oh, Hugh Jackman's going to go to jail. Well, whatever, at least he didn't die in the hole, you know? At least he happened to have an emergency whistle with him. That is the question, though, because maybe out of mercy, Jake Gyllenhaal leaves him to die. So then his family can just, you know, not have to see him off to jail. Is that supposed to be a morally ambiguous moment? Really? I don't know. They don't. There's no answer. It just ends because 
Denise Villeneuve is an asshole. <laughs> no, well, I just I just assumed it ended because there was no need for us to see him pull Hugh Jackman out of the hole. I mean, it's been two and a half hours, and we hear him whistling, so it's okay to end it there. We know that he was found. Maybe. You're saying he might, he may intentionally be leaving it unclear so we can wonder, oh, is it better for him to die down in the hole or go to prison? No, it's better for him to go to prison. That's why he's blowing the damn whistle, because he wants to be let out. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. <laughs> if that was the intention, then I really questioned what the point of this film was and what it was trying to say. Oh, man. All right, well, is there anything else you would like to say about prisoners? No. All I'll say is uh, people should go watch Incendies. I liked it a lot better. It also has a crazy reveal at the end that some people like, some people don't like. I think it works and makes it much more thought-provoking than this film, which is just a, a hot mess. Yep. All right, well, that will wrap it up for part two of our discussion of Prisoners here on Cinema Fix. Don't forget to tune in next week when we will be discussing either Don John or Rush. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, and our upcoming weekly podcast all about the third season of Homeland and the first season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Monica, where can people find you online? People can find me online on Twitter and Tumblr at mcastymovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. They can also find my work reposted on the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at bofca.com. You can find some of my writing at moviemezzanine.com and patheos.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on cinema and escaping your psychological and emotional prisons. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!